0: Our scripture reading this morning is Daniel eleven, twenty-one through 35. In his place shall arise a contemptible person to whom royal majesty has not been given. He shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Armies shall be utterly swept away before him and broken, even the prince of the covenant. And from the time that an alliance is made with him, He shall act deceitfully, and he shall become strong with a small people. Without warning, he shall come into the richest parts of the province, and he shall do what neither his fathers nor his father's fathers have done, scattering among them plunder, spoil, and goods. He shall devise plans against strongholds, but only for a time. And he shall stir up his power and his heart, against the king of the south with a great army and the king of the south shall wage war with an exceedingly great and mighty army but he shall not stand for plots shall be devised against him even those who eat his food shall break break him his army shall be swept away and many shall fall down slain and as for the two kings their hearts shall be bent on doing evil They shall speak lies at the same table, but to no avail, for the end is yet to be at the time appointed. And he shall return to his land with great wealth, but his heart shall be set against the holy covenant, and he shall work his will and return to his own land. At the time appointed, he shall return and come into the south, But it shall not be this time as it was before. For ships of Kittim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the holy covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the holy covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering. And they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand. Though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. This is God's word.
1: Well, it's been a while since we've been in the book of Daniel. We've been uh, doing some other things, but I have really been looking forward to the next five sermons, which is what it's going to take to finish the book of Daniel. In fact, the material from this latter half of chapter 11 and chapter 12 has really been kind of a primary target from the start. You'll understand why as we go along this morning. Something unprecedented is coming. Maybe you see the clouds already gathering. And this part of Daniel is going to help you understand what's coming and how to prevail. Now, Daniel 10 11 and 12 records the last vision of Daniel before he was instructed take your rest. And so far, we've examined the parts of this fourth vision that have been fulfilled in history. We've we've looked at things that have been accomplished over about a 400-year period of time and seen this wonderful correspondence between here's what Daniel predicted and here's what actually happened. But in the final five sermons, today and the four to come, we're going to focus on the part of his vision that identifies events yet future, and I mean future for us all of it was future for Daniel when he wrote it in this case in about 536 BC and everything that he predicted in chapters 11 and 12 was in the future but much of it has already been accomplished perfectly but the parts we're gonna look at now are actually looking into the future that is still yet future for us and so Last time we did a sermon, which was about two months ago on Daniel because of the other things we were doing, Uh, we looked at the passage that Carol just read, verses 21 through 35, and we looked at the correspondence between the events in that chapter that were predicted and what actually happened. But we're going to take one more trip through that same passage because I want to show you something that you might not have seen, and I'll explain what that is in a minute. Then we're going to take three weeks to look at the remainder of the book of Daniel, which is only 23 verses, but we're going to really zero in closely. And then on our fifth Sunday, we're going to do two things. I am going to answer questions you might have. Now, you're going to send them to me ahead of time. You can send them via email, and you can say, Jim, what about? And I'll Pick a few because I'm not sure I'll be able to do it all in one Sunday. So we'll answer some questions. And second, I'm going to take all of the glimpses of the future that are found in these visions from chapter 7 to chapter 12. And I'm going to give you a composite view. Here's what you can look forward to that is yet to come. So it's been a while since we have been in the book of Daniel. So we need to remember the big picture. Daniel chapters 1 through 6 Highlights some key moments in the life of Daniel And we can look at this Which is about a 70 year period of time for Daniel From the time that he was taken as a young man About, I don't know, 14, 16 Taken to Babylon Till the end of his days About 70 years So chapters 1 through 6 cover history Then chapters 7 through 12 Are actually the summary of a number of visions, four visions that Daniel had, in which he was given a glimpse of the future. And God gave him a glimpse of what will happen after his life. So what I want to do is just review. I realize it's been a while, so we're going to see something up on the board here that will, or up on the screen, that will kind of walk you through, get everybody back up to speed, okay? Okay. So chapters 1 through 6 are the six narrative chapters, and I still don't see it yet, but I'm sure it will be coming. And those six narrative chapters cover a period of time in which you had Nebuchadnezzar, followed by Marduk plus two others who were kind of angling for the throne. They only lasted a few years. Then Nabonidus, who was the son of Nebuchadnezzar, and Belshazzar, who was his son grandson and those were the Babylonian rulers and then in 539 you remember the handwriting on the wall that's when Darius the uh, s- uh, the king of Medo-Persia assumed the throne and conquered Babylon so still don't see it all right no problem so I'm going to just talk you through it or if you want to you can look at the back at the balcony and you can see what I'm seeing and that might help you so chapters 1 and 2 show us the choice food uh, and Nebuchadnezzar's dream and that happened in the early years of Daniel's life. Then chapters 3 and 4 we saw the fiery furnace and the pride pill. Remember that was when Nebuchadnezzar was told you're going to you know, go out and be like a sheep or a cow and that was God's way of humbling him. That occurred closer toward the end of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Then chapters 5 was the writing on the wall which was really the last day of Belshazzar's reign in which they saw this hand at a party that he was throwing, big celebration. And then in chapter 6, about two years later, we saw Daniel in the lion's den. So those six prophetic chapters follow, and they actually go back in time and kind of walk through that narrative once again. So first in chapter 7, we have these uh, four beasts Then comes a super horn, and then comes the Son of Man. And the super horn and the Son of Man are yet future. They haven't happened yet. The four beasts have happened. In chapter 8, we see two beasts followed by a little horn, and that little horn is broken. And again, the two beasts have already happened. But the little horn that is broken, that hasn't happened yet. Then in chapter 9, we saw 69 sevens followed by a, seven, a 70th seven. And the 69 sevens, which were 69 seven-year periods, that's already been accomplished, but there's a one seven yet to come. Then we come to chapters 9, 10, and 11, which is this final vision. And in it, Daniel is given a glimpse of a whole range of historical events that will occur. Basically, 90, for us, 90 historical events. And we looked at those in close detail. Remember when we had the readers and they walked us through all that. What Daniel was shown in this last vision, in chapters 11 and 12, it started with, first, uh, verses 1 through 20, covered 360 years. And we saw 60 points of correspondence where He says, this will happen, and sure enough, that's what happened. This will happen. Sure enough, that's what will happen. In the passage that Carol just read, it covers a span of 11 years, particularly the the historical reign of Antiochus IV. And then in verse 36, which we'll start with next week, we actually go all the way to the end of the book with a glimpse at something that has not happened yet. It's yet to come. So this look into the future is actually intended to show us how you can prevail when things go bad. And in the first 360-year period, what you got to see was God's got a perfect vision of what's happening. Trust me. So when he tells us about things that haven't happened yet, he's got perfect 2020 foresight, and he's going to see exactly what's going to happen. Then... The winners and losers are found in the passage we're going to look at today. And we're going to get some insight from that. And then, starting next week, we're going to look at the last battle. And what can we learn from that that is going to help us? In part one of this sermon, it was called Despicable Part 1, we looked at Daniel 11, verses 21 through 35, and we saw a despicable person. And we saw a number of descriptions of things that he would do. And he's actually called, now the translation that Carol was reading, uh, which is the English Standard Version, uh, had some other word, it wasn't nefarious, but something like that. But the uh, New American Standard uses the word despicable. And I like that word because he is clearly a despicable guy. But this passage also adds a second layer of information. That wasn't found in verses 1 through 20. What we're going to learn, and we're going to go back through the same material, but I'm going to show you three things that you may not have seen. And basically what it is telling us is, here's how God's people are going to be tested. And here's how God's people will prevail. So we can actually learn from their experience with despicable one. Because despicable too is coming. What methods did despicable use against God's people? How did some people do poorly? How did some do well? Uh, we need to watch and learn. We need to understand this. Now, this is history. But we're going to get some glimpses of ways in which God's people in this history did well. So, last sermon that we did we looked at the historical events basically we saw in verses 21 through 24 the rise of Antiochus Epiphanes he was a despicable schemer from the start he angled his way into getting the throne he didn't you know ascend through the normal means he wasn't elected Uh, then his first campaign against Egypt he actually conquered Palestine and acquired it Then we saw his second campaign against Egypt, which didn't go as well. Uh, The ships of Katim is a reference to Rome. And Roman intervention stopped him. And so he came back frustrated through Israel. And so the fourth thing we saw was this incredible rage against Israel in verses 31 through 35. Get this. The Antiochus challenge was not a one-off. In Daniel 11, 31, we read, and they will set up the abomination of desolation. In this is a reference to something that Antiochus did. Uh, his, his basic philosophy was, I'm God, and I'm going to set up an idol as a symbol of you worshiping me. And so he replaced the worship of God with worship of himself And he used an idol that he placed in God's house as his centerpiece. That was this abomination of desolation. That was erected in 167 B.C. Jesus, 200 years later, said this, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place let the reader understand then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains did you get what Jesus just said? despicable one was despicable one there's another one coming I'm going to call him despicable two or you can call him despicable 2.0. And Jesus, who is a perfect prophet, is predicting that history is going to, maybe it doesn't repeat, but it echoes. And something of what was experienced in this round is still yet to be experienced, and actually it hasn't happened yet. A second despicable person is coming who will basically adopt the Antiochus model of replacing worship of God with worship of himself, and he will use an idol as his centerpiece. And his presence represents a clear and present danger for Jesus followers. So, let's take a second pass through Daniel eleven twenty-one 21 through 35, And let's examine some details about how some in Israel got it right, because some did with Antiochus IV. There were some who were not persuaded, who were not sucked in to what he was doing. So let's figure out how they did it. Now, some did blow it, but some did not. Let's figure out how they did it, because Jesus says Antiochus II is yet to come. Now, before I answer that question, i got to say one other thing. Is it possible that this is avoidable? I mean, you're describing things getting really bad and then really, really bad and then really, really, really bad. Is it possible that's not going to happen or that's not where we're going? And I have to acknowledge that there are numerous instances in which God delivered wake-up calls that were ignored. For example, before the flood, (laughs) Noah preached for 100 years. Sodom and Gomorrah, he sent two messengers. Uh, Egypt, at the time of the Exodus, he sent Moses. But nobody paid attention. But there was a city by the name of Nineveh And there was a guy, he was God's man. He had some attitude problems, but he was God's man named Jonah. And Jonah, after God helped him get sorted out, you know, three days in the belly of a fish will do that to you. Uh, After God got him sorted out, then he went to Nineveh. And he issued a warning. He said, you've got 40 days. If you don't get right with God... You haven't gotten right with God. This is what's coming. And then we read in Jonah 3, verses 8, 9, and 10, this is what the king said. He issued a decree. I want you to imagine, if you can, as I read this, imagine, for example, the president of the United States issuing a decree like this. I hereby declare... Man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let men call on God earnestly that each man may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. Can you, can you imagine that? When God saw their deeds that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. So I'm acknowledging the possibility. I think it's a remote possibility. I mean, as I told you to think, you know, imagine a president of the United States saying something like, we have done wrong by God, we need to acknowledge that. It's possible. But short of a Nineveh revival, the clock is ticking. So you need to be prepared. In Daniel 12.10, we won't get there for a few weeks, we read this. But it's describing this future that is coming. It says, none of the wicked will understand. The people who are living in a way that is dishonoring to God, they're going to be clueless. But those who have insight will understand. The majority of people as we are coming to this incredible day will be totally clueless in the dark. There will be some who will get it. And I want you to be among those who get it. Will it happen in our lifetime? I don't know. But I desperately want you to be ready if it does. You know, in that passage it says, none of the wicked will understand, and it's a Hebrew word been. Been is a word that refers to the ability to discern, to make connections. It says none of the wicked will be none of the wicked will make connections between what God's word says and what's going on. They can't distinguish between what is good and what is evil, and they can't distinguish between what the word says and what's happening all around them. It says those who have insight, that's the Hebrew word sakal. And that word refers to biblically informed convictions. You're willing to die for what you are convinced the word says. That's sakal. So it's saying, none of the wicked are going to make connections. But those who have biblically informed convictions and are willing to die for it will understand, being. They will make the connections. They will understand. That is why a long time ago... <laughs> I said, I want this people to understand the book of Daniel because I want you to be the purveyors of men in Sakal. I want you to know and knowing to be prepared with biblically informed convictions that you will die for if that's what's called for. In uh, chapter 12, verse 3, here's another appearance of the word sakal. It says, and this is referring to this future day that is coming, those who have insight, sakal, biblically informed convictions, those who have insight, get this, will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. They are going to be like light bulbs in a dark place. I want you and this is part of the reason why we've been in the book of Daniel all looking toward this last section. I want you to be wise and to shine when things go dark. Now I realize what I've been saying is pretty intense. So it's Father's Day, let me just use a little dad humor, okay? And uh, this will be my one humor moment or attempt. So what I want you to do is be people that we could say in the morning, wise and shine. Okay, it was about like dad humor. So anyway, yes, you need to be those who are Sakal and who will shine brightly. You are wise with biblically informed convictions. So wise and shine, that's where we're headed. All right, the core challenge with Antiochus is that he used a self-centered religion as the primary vehicle for expanding his power. Basically, he said, I'm your God. And he enjoyed a season of success. Uh, Morality was redefined. He actually made it illegal to obey the first and second commandments. If you do that, you potentially put your life at risk. You are a threat to society. You need to be done away with. So, what can we learn about how Old Testament saints dealt with this first despicable person? And I'm going to identify for you three threats and three strategies that are embedded in the passage that we just read. The first one is the threat is commitment that costs. I'm committed to Christ, but now when it becomes costly, am I? So that's the first challenge. Now, it shows up in several of the passages that Carol read. It says, for example, in Daniel 11:24, 24, in a time of tranquility, he will enter the richest parts of the realm and he will accomplish what his father never did, nor his ancestors. Get this, he will distribute plunder, booty, and possessions among them. So what he's doing is he's redistributing wealth. He's taking it from those oppose him and giving it to those who are his supporters. He's buying loyalty with benefits. A modern equivalent would be dialing back to devotion, your devotion to Jesus in order to limit material consequences. Now, I don't want to be too vocal about my allegiance to Jesus in this context because it may have financial repercussions. So I just kind of keep that on the down low. That's what the threat was. Another passage, this is uh, Daniel 11:30, with the ships of Katim. This was the Romans. When they found out about what he was doing, they sent a fleet, and it totally thwarted his plan to conquer Egypt. And so he came back frustrated back to Palestine, and it says this: he would show regard for those who forsake the Holy Covenant. He favors sellouts. Here's someone who says, you know, I was a follower of God, but you know, I've decided, you know, that's just so restrictive. And he says, oh, I'm so glad you've come to see the light. And he actually promotes them. One more, this is from Daniel eleven thirty two. He says, by smooth words, he will turn to godlessness those who act wickedly toward the covenant. Now, smooth words there is uh, an expression that means uh, affirmation, uh, winsome words. He's an encourager of those who decide, you know what? I'm not into this God thing anymore. And he's affirming and saying, I am so grateful that you're discovering how to be the authentic you. How do you fight this? That's what Antiochus was doing, and that's, by the way, what Despicable II will do. I'll give you a couple glimpses in a minute. He's going to make it costly to name the name of Jesus. So here's strategy number one, which is approval-proof your faith. In other words, make your allegiance to Jesus something which allows you to embrace cost. I'm willing to do whatever Jesus wants, no matter what it takes. Now, this has two sides to it. The positive side is, I am going to live for God's pleasure alone. I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm going to do what God wants. And I'm going to do only what he desires. That's the positive side. The negative side is, and I am not going to live for the approval of men. I want God to be well represented by what I do. It's fascinating to me that Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, this is verse uh, 26 of chapter one. For consider your calling, brethren. Think about how God brought you, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. If your goal is to pursue celebrity, If your goal is the accolades of men you want to be an influencer, you want to be followed, you want lots of credibility in the world's eyes, it won't work well when there's a conflict between that and following Jesus. So I need to and you need to find ways to willingly forego benefits and pleasures as a way of saying I want what you can give me, God. I want what you can do more than I want, and you pick whatever. Now, I'm going to show you a practical illustration. I'm not holding this up as some great, uh, wow, that's incredible, Jim. It's just a a normal thing, okay? Uh, So, uh, first off, I have to explain something to you. So, uh, I like Dove Bar. By the way, there's none in there. They've already been eaten, so... Now, this brings together two things that I really like, chocolate and ice cream. And so about three or four months ago, how many of you identify? Come on, go ahead. Okay, this is good. All right, I want to be alone in this. So, for example, on a Sunday afternoon, I've preached the sermon. I'm kind of kicking back. My entitlement is a dove bar because it brings together both chocolate and ice cream. Love it. So this is maybe, I don't know, three or four months ago. uh, I was thinking, God, I need you to be Baal Perazim, Lord of the Breakthrough. I need some breakthroughs. Uh, As it relates to family, there are doors that I am pleading with you to close. There are other doors that I am pleading with you to open. And so I want to fast until that happens but I also knew this could take months I don't know maybe years I don't know so I didn't decide I will fast all food because I didn't think I had it in me to do that I've done fasting for days with no food but never for weeks or months so basically what I said is God I am going to fast from chocolate and from ice cream for however long it takes until you will answer these prayers for breakthrough. Now, for some of you, that was a problem because you invited us to your home for dinner, and when it came to dessert and you had chocolate and ice cream, love it, I said, I'm sorry. (laughs) But every time I thought of chocolate and ice cream, which was often... That prompted me to say, God, I am desperate for you to work on this front, on this front, on this front. And what I was choosing to do in a very, frankly, very simple way is say, God, I want you more than I want Dovebar." And I, you know, how did it turn out, Jim? I'll put the box away so I'm not tempted. Uh, God either closed or opened 15 doors in ways that were incredible. Blew my mind. And so then I had a dove bar to celebrate. (laughs) (laughs) That's a simple example, but you can find ways to embrace costly devotion to Jesus. It could be profit, it could be comfort, it could be benefit, it could be a reputation, it could be favor, I don't know what it is, but if we are going to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness, meaning we're going to be engaged in the things that grow our ability to approval-proof our faith, then we're going to find ways to set aside things in the interest of following Jesus. You want to know why that matters? Let me just read you. Here's something that's going to happen with Antiochus. Well, not Antiochus, Despicable too. Future Despicable will provide that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name, Revelation 13, 17. To name the name of Jesus is to be excluded from the marketplace. You're not going to be able to buy or sell or transact anything. Do I have that kind of faith? Then now is the time to grow my ability to have an allegiance to Jesus that transcends stuff and approval and favor. That's how they made it with Antiochus IV. In Revelation eighteen four, one of the things that God's people are told, this is God's people told this, referring to those who occupy the city of Babylon, he says, Come out of her, my people. It's time to make a clean break. So strategy number one, find ways to pick up your cross to follow Jesus now so that you are ready for what's coming. Challenge number two, not really knowing God. That's the threat. It says by smooth words, he will turn to godlessness, those who act wickedly toward the covenant. But here's the flip side, but the people who know their god will display strength and take action a specific class of individuals will go beyond mere quiet conviction to bold deeds born by strength of character and where does that come from they know god Now, know, when it says they know God, there's different words that could be used in the Hebrew. This word is to know in an experiential way. They have a relationship like a husband and wife who know each other. They don't just know about each other, they know each other. The people who know their God are not going to be sucked into what Despicable 2 wants to do. So strategy number two, deepen your relationship with and your understanding of God. Tighten your grasp of God's character. Grow in your appreciation of who he is and what he's done and what he stands for and the place he should occupy in your life. We are in a world in which people are increasingly enamored by my truth. And the people who will prevail under despicable Two are saying God's truth I want my life to be ordered by what God says. The world someday will say, the world is going to say this, Revelation 13, 4. And they worship the beast saying, who is like the beast? And who is able to wage war with him? Nobody can take him on. But we know, Psalm 113, 4 and 5, the Lord is high above the nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? Who's enthroned on high? The people who know their God are going to make it. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. So for me, one of the things this means is turn off the cell phone. In fact, I have a Faraday bag. Do you know what a Faraday bag is? Anyway, it's something that I can put the phone in that isolates it from from all electronic signals, so it won't beep and beckon me. And then what I do is I open the Word, try to do this every day, I'm not gonna tell you every day, but, and I ask this simple question, God, would you please show me something that you think I need to see and he does that's who my God is that's who your God is think of the husband or the wife who loves knowing what pleases their spouse and then I can do something that I know she's gonna like that's the kind of relationship we need with God where we know him And we know what he likes and we have no greater joy than this than to do what pleases him. The people of whom that can be said are the people who will flourish when Despicable 2 comes around. Challenge number three is target avoidance. And this one's going to be hard. In 1133 it says, those who have insight among the people will give understanding to the many, yet they will fall by sword and by flame, by captivity and by plunder. And by the way, to fall by plunder means they, they've taken all your stuff. You don't have anything to live on anymore. Those who have insight, which by the way, that's our word, sakal, those who have biblically informed convictions among the people will give understanding, they'll help others connect the dots, yet they will fall. By sword, by flame, by captivity or by plunder, meaning by deprivation Baldwin has a quote. Daniel and his friends had been delivered by unusual divine interventions from death. But the warning here is that this will not always be the case. Sword and flame, captivity and plunder sum up the suffering of faithful men and women. In the next four sermons, you're going to hear from people who are dealing with this right now. but it's going to ramp up. Those who know Jesus truly and have sakal, biblically informed convictions, will pay a price. I'm grateful for an amazing glimpse behind the curtain two verses later. Listen to this. Yes, now I'm inserting that word there. Yes, some of those who have insight will fall. But get this, in order to refine, purge, and make them pure until the end time, because it is still to come at the appointed time. What he's saying is these trials. The flame, the sword, the plunder are going to work on me and make me more the man God wants me to be. So, strategy number three recognize that persecution and trial produce purity. Yeah, despicable too. And his minions. Are going to have a way with God's people, but no matter what they do, and I'll just speak for myself no matter what they do, I win. Because whatever they do helps me to become more the person God wants me to be. This is James 1 2 in its purest form. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. There's celebrate! Yay! I'm getting the hammer. (laughs) Count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect work, that you would be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Everything that the enemy throws at me has already been father-filtered. Okay, yes, yes, that will produce something good in Jim. I have been shocked amazed and encouraged as I have watched ways that I have had to walk through deep waters and those around me have had to walk through deep waters and I've seen God produce things that would never have otherwise been produced. Don't fear persecution. It is your ally. It will produce a more precious faith and anyone who opposes you is actually serving you. They they think they're harming you. They're not. Reminds me of a couple verses. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. In other words, congratulations. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. If you're reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. In other words, you will experience God's presence. So there are three ways you can get ready now for what's coming. Find ways each day to embrace cost as you follow Jesus. Number two, Spend time and energy deepening your relationship with an understanding of God. And number three, when you experience testing, celebrate that trial produces purity. I got one more thing to tell you. I read you a little excerpt from the encounter between Jonah and Nineveh, but chapter four is interesting. When God showed grace to Nineveh, Jonah was angry. Verse 1 says, But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. And I'm paraphrasing. He's going, Because I knew you were going to do this, God. I knew you were going to show grace to them. And then God gave Jonah a lesson with a plant. Basically, God showed grace to him. And God said, You enjoyed the grace of the plant, right? Should I, the same God who showed you grace, not give grace to somebody else? And I would say this to us. We, the recipients of God's grace. Yes, we live in a world that is going to become increasingly hostile to followers of Jesus. But God has shown us grace And we need to show grace to our persecutors. They're in the enemy's clutches. And in some cases, what they desperately need is a glimpse of someone who is the real
0: thing. This is the Jesus way.